welcome to Cabs and Shame episode 11. Uh, welcome to 2021. It's already off to a fantastic start. Don't you love it? Um, today, we would like to revisit our mini-series about lyrics and lyric writing, particularly this time around, focusing on good lyric writing and, in quotes, effective lyric writing. In our ongoing dominance of being the artist's podcast, we have recruited a tame artist to help talk to us about lyrics and lyric writing. We have joining us today, Vicky Kavanagh from one of our favourite bands, Bikini Body. Vicky, Hi. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. You really didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I'm picturing, picturing Will like taking her hostage and just, just like, you must go on the show. You must go on the show. <laughs> If you want me to host another event, you have to go on the show. <laughs> yeah, this this is me calling in the favor. <laughs> exactly. So, Nathan, since this is your this is your site, your brainchild, would you like to to lead the the opener? Sure. So today we're talking about lyric writing, and I think to start off talking about effective lyric writing. But of course, effective is a very broad term. So, Vicky, as an like as as an author of lyrics yourself, mm-hmm. what do you think effective means to you when it comes to your lyric writing? In terms of you know effective uh, lyric writing, I try and go for um, imagery that you know might be a little bit shocking or a bit a bit sort of I don't know. Yeah, I guess shocking is the word, and I think you know that that's a mixture of kind of maybe swearing or um, talking about something a bit gross or a bit weird. Um, And I think also like elements of the kind of female experience can be a bit um, shocking sometimes. And, and I want that to come across because, you know, that's something that's important to me. Um, And I think, I think it is effective. And I also try not to be too wordy as well. Um, I try to, sort of make more with less i suppose yeah no it's an interesting combination of things um and to be honest i hadn't really considered the 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 sound design element Mm -hmm. within that of picking specific words that not only match your voice but also might say match the song itself of course you think about you know classic lyric writing and having phrases that rhyme and whatnot but you know going beyond that the idea of you know, adding in certain types of words or words that have a specific sound to to pair with the music. And that also that could be used as a way of musically drawing in the listener to listen to your lyrics more closely, for example, and pick up on those shocking elements that you're talking about or the sort of, I mean, a lot of your music seems very narratively based. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you like telling telling stories of your experience as a woman uh but also i'd you know commend you in doing it in a way that is easy to follow and very immersive yeah absolutely um you know that is that is the focus really i don't i find it hard to talk effectively actually when it's something that i'm not interested in or engaged by or that applies to me so the easiest way that I could write a song was to draw on the experiences that I've had. And so, yeah, my songs are very narrative. Um, 
I think sometimes during lockdown, they've kind of veered towards the absurd, but they all come back to something that I've genuinely experienced. And I, I always think that's the most effective songwriting is when somebody's writing about something that's happened to them um, because it allows listeners to relate to them. Write about what you know. Would you say like veered off towards the absurd? Is it still based, like, is it is it like loosely based on you know, things that you've done or thoughts that you've had, or do you just kind of let your, I guess it's still your thoughts that you've had, but like your mind kind of wander and just go down that path? Yeah. I, like, how does that work for yeah, you? Yeah. It's, it's always rooted in something I've experienced. Um, but I'll always, I'll, you know, more recently I've been, <laughs> I guess, not having so many life experiences as we all have. Um, so I've been, you know, my mind has been maybe wandering um, and and coming up with stuff that's a little bit weirder. Uh, and I'm getting inspiration from things other than real life. So the song that um, we played for the first time on the, the live stream that Will hosted with us, uh, Chivas Dunhill's Coke, you know, that just came about because I saw a sort of newspaper article about Hunter S. Thompson's uh, daily diet <laughs> and you know that doesn't that doesn't come from anywhere like any kind of real experience or anything that was literally just I saw that um, I then paired that with one of my favorite Instagram accounts beam me up soft boy I don't know if you know it um, yep but yeah. yeah so I, I'm really not <laughs> that's not really in the land of the living that's purely internet based kind of a little bit absurd yeah it's funny actually because I was I was listening to that song and I have I have been going back and listening to the live stream with some frequency to to listen to the material again, but uh, that particular song, it, I, I I could feel the I could practically see the flat party, and uh, yeah. and what was going on within it in some Newtown flat watching <laughs> like watching the whole thing unfold in places and yeah. actually I found the sort of Chivers Dunhill Coke was a really good sort of um, touchstone, an anchor into that, uh, because I could kind of I could see them sort of strewn around the table, mm. which was quite a, a a good anchor. And actually, I suppose then in, in a way that is an effective form of of songwriting because I could feel what was going on within it. Yeah, and and that's one of the things you know I was, when I was thinking about what to say on this podcast. I think that's one of the things that I also really enjoy about lyric writing is coming up with a line or a piece of imagery um, that ostensibly is saying one thing, um, but maybe is thing is causing you to think of something something else, something kind of broader. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. like like you say, you know, I think I think it's great that uh, just saying sort of Chivas Dunhill's Coke, which was that was just the headline of this this article I found. Um, that conjures up, you know, a whole scene for you in yeah, a grossy new town flat, which to be fair, you know, I did, I took that article and intermingled it with some grossy times I've had in a new town flat. So <laughs> you're spot on. Yeah, well, given that you mentioned Arabella and before Prees, that, that definitely was setting yeah. the scene a bit, particularly <laughs> for me, thinking of the Arabellas I knew at university. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's It's... It's a funny thing that we also... It's actually perfect that you mention um, writing one thing, but conjuring up another. 
mm. through through that because in a previous uh, well the first episode quote unquote in our uh, lyrics mini series we talked about the death of the author where once once an author or a writer or a, or a creator of some form has has created particularly a written or spoken piece they and released it into the culture verse they no longer have ownership mm. of that piece of work in a, in a sort of a way ignoring the legal terms of copyright it's more like the me the, they no longer have me like ownership over the meaning or the impact of that work yeah that's i mean so like the author no longer sorry go ahead. no no that's okay i i was just going to say the the book by john berger ways of seeing talks about that concept with art so it's about it's not about the fact that you know the artist sort of owns the original the very original that almost becomes meaningless because of the numerous ways in which an image can be shared and reproduced. So, you know, you you can pay millions of dollars or pounds for a beautiful artwork, but you'll never truly own it anymore because of this kind of mass reproduction. I I think the same thing happens with, with songs. You know, it's so easy for me to just go onto Google and and just find someone's lyrics and mm-hmm. and unfortunately these days it's also much um easier for people to steal art because of because of the internet and i think that goes with with songs as well to an extent absolutely there's i mean there's a lot of i mean I, there are a lot of instances i can think of where there are artists who have taken a piece of work taken some lyrics and used them in a separate song with lyrics from a different artist yeah. and and done a good job with it um in particular, I'm thinking of uh, Milo and his use of One Headlight by the Wallflowers, mm. which is totally out, out of left field for us here. But, I, you know, that was a very transformative use of it. But there's also, it's, you know, a lot of covers or like not quite covers where it's like on that line of like, is this a cover or that, you know, that the artist needs to credit the original artist or is this you know, just straight up plagiarization of lyrics and, you know, hardly using any effort to transform it. I think there's definitely a lot that, there's a lot to unpack there. Funnily enough, David Bowie used to do that. Yes, that's right. David Bowie would regularly just lift lyrics from other people's songs. And Mm. I don't know, that it might have been Tony Visconti, his longtime producer would say, hold on a minute, that's, that's a lyric from such and such. And he went, yeah, I know. <laughs> you can't use that. That so and so's lyric. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just borrowing it. <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm just, it's just a lyric. It's just a line. I'm gonna put it somewhere else. And there's the other other hand. There's the, uh, you know, the cool greenhouse line from Alexa. Oh yeah. Well, I stole that line, but it's extraordinarily <laughs> relevant, and I yes. hope there are no legal repercussions. There's <laughs> <laughs> a big, big, big range from there. But talking about the death of the author, Will and I were chatting about this the other day, and you know, he pointed out that there's quite a lot of irony in us talking about the efficacy of lyricism following on from that, given this idea that you know what is effective eventually ends up in the interpretation of each individual audience member, each individual listener, reader, whatever you want to call them. Um, but I think there's still there's a lot. The, the artist, I mean, the artist still has to be the person that creates that work in the first place. There needs to be, you know, some sort of medium there for the audience to latch onto. Now, what the 
what part of that medium the audience latches onto and how each individual member creates meaning might be entirely unexpected by the original writer of lyrics. And that, you know, that might be totally out there for, you know, you might write some lyrics thinking that, yes, this is the part that was effective for me. This is the part that I wanted to focus on. And this is the part that I expect the audience will be seeking at the concert, will be thinking about at home. And that might be entirely wrong. Um, can you actually think of any times that like in any of your lyrics, do you feel that's been the case? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the best example of that is Georgie Weaver. I think just just the sort of the chorus or hook or whatever you want to call it of fuck you Georgie Weaver you know that is supposed to be like old man interrupting my night just fuck off you know (laughs) but what it what it what I've seen it end up as in um listeners at gigs you know particularly the male contingent is they kind of think it's a bit sort of oi and laddie you know they're like oh yeah that's fucking hilarious like I get to swear at some random dude, you know? Um, so I I think they kind of think it's like a bit of a, like a Larry sort of laddie tune, um, which is so the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Uh, but I kind of, I kind of love that. Like I was at, you know, when we did a, gl- a gig in Glasgow, uh, oh God, it must've been ages ago now as with all gigs. I, there were these two big burly lads stuck, standing next to each other at the gig and uh, I came off the stage after we'd finished performing and um, they were just saying to each other like, oh, fuck you, Graham Weaver. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, you haven't even got the name right. And you like clearly think that <laughs> it's like a laddie thing. It was it was so funny. I loved it. I, I just genuinely love it. I have no no problem with it whatsoever. I just thought it was brilliant how wrong they were, basically. <laughs> I, I kind of fell in that train as well. The first time I heard Georgie Weaver, like just not not having like looked up the lyrics and read through them, just, mm. you know, listening to it a couple times and, and not getting the whole content of the song. I was convinced that you just really weren't a fan of this Georgie Weaver girl. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I thought it was quite funny. It jumped onto that as like, ah, you know, I don't know who Georgie Weaver is, but yeah, fuck her. It kind of, you know, it makes me kind of think of almost like a football chant type thing. You know, I think there was, it kind of makes me think of like Georgie Best, you know, back in the day. And just, I feel like the, the sort of glint in the eye of the people in, in at these gigs who kind of thought it was like a laddie thing, kind of, it felt like almost like they kind of saw it like a football chant, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I'd love to see. I'd love to see it the next Tibbs game. I'm down for that. It's we'll, honestly we'll that as... As a chorus, it is because it's very memorable. It's as you said, it's it's it it is very shocking. Like the chorus itself is a very shocking piece of lyric writing, and mm. it's a it's something that really sticks with you in a concert or when you're when you're listening to it. Um, I remember playing it in the car, driving somewhere with my mom, and she she was she never swears, never like <laughs> latches onto any of this, and I could hear her kind of singing to the side. I thought it was very funny because it is it's you know the the shock of it and your delivery combined into this this thing that is super memorable um yeah and it is as you said it kind of is a chant yeah absolutely it's it's funny it's actually it's very reminiscent for me of um it, it, the way that you just explained it Vicky was uh I remember an early 
an early article about idols after they'd released Brutalism, but before Joy. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it was I think it was in the Guardian, typically, and they were saying that Joe Talbot was basically similarly not not complaining, but talking about the fact that there was a huge crush of of men right at the front in the gig just yelling mother fucker in a sort of oh boy we get to swear at a gig kind of fashion and sing this really sweary chorus when it's you know the the obviously the song is about his mother and and an ode to her supporting his him and his family but it's the 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 oi the the, yeah, the chant, the cheer, the the sort of riling up of just swearing in your chorus as opposed to what it's actually trying to entail as a song. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting comparison to draw because, you know, I've been to see idols and actually their gigs are a very different kettle of fish to what we are doing. Uh, yeah, like like you say, you know, they have songs which totally aren't meant to be you know, something that's like oi and laddie and whatever. But they do spend a great deal of time geeing up the audience, I have to say. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of Joe Talbot saying, you know, fuck those Tory scum and all the rest of it. And so it doesn't surprise me so much that there is that contingent there that are ready to have a bit of sort of bother boy action. With, with our gigs... I mean, I'm, you know, I can't hide the fact I'm a sort of skinny, lanky, posh girl from Sussex. And I really, I'm I'm not running around the stage, like shouting at anybody. I'm not trying to rile anyone up at all. But even just the use of something like Fuck You, Georgie Weaver does get people going, which I find really interesting. And the same, the same could be said of Sleaford Mods. You know, they, they often talk about how it's really annoying for them that people don't get it, that they don't get that they're not actually these sort of wellard blokes. They're actually, you know, talking about serious issues and they are feminists and all the rest of it. But people but people often just mistake the image. Um, but again, you know, I've been to a Sleaford Mods gig and um, I wouldn't say they're exactly, you know, calm or not encouraging it necessarily. So I, I yeah, it's an interesting comparison to, to draw because I do think we're a lot sort of quieter than them perhaps or maybe a bit more i don't know stoking it a bit a bit less i guess i think i think i'd actually use the adjective wry you're a bit more wry about it mm, mm-hmm. rather than yeah. yeah rather than feeding it it's more of a sort of reflection upon the reality rather than a this is shit it's more of a look at this ridiculous thing yeah yeah that's i mean that is pretty much what i go for whenever i write a song is a wry it's always with a wry smile, as as it should be, as it should be. It's uh, the the sleep of monsters are interesting because there was a really good piece in the latest Loud and Quiet interviewing them, and the 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 sort of way it was referred to in, in that particular vein when you were talking about the sort of the the, the hyper masculinity basically that that comes through. Mm. Um, they refer to it as complex masculinity to sort of sum up that yeah you were saying that. They are actually feminists, and they do very much care about rights of of, of everyone, not ju- not just a sort of breaking down the walls of toxic masculinity, as it were, but also obviously embracing feminism and and the like. So I think it's 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 kind of a an interesting thing to still talk about 
efficacy of lyrics when if you're at a gig in this and they're and they're riling up the audience you're 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 kind of feeding a particular viewpoint of your lyrics and and probably a particular consumer of your lyrics as a result by saying yeah fuck Tory scum or whatever the hell to to rile up the audience into a specific mindset really to then to then deliver the lyrics to yeah i think it's you know it's a vessel isn't it really i think what jason williamson is often trying to portray is like, look, you can be a working class lad that comes from Sleaford, which I've been to actually. Um, my ex-boyfriend was from Sleaford. So you can, you can be a working class lad from Sleaford or somewhere like that and not be a massive dick and still hold, you know, feminist ideals or, you know, uphold other people's rights. You You can still be that person, but you, you know, you can be an all right person as well. Um, so I think I think it's a vessel for for the message that they're trying to get across. They they want to still appeal to those lads from Sleaford, but they also want to tell them like, look, we can all be you know nice <laughs> um, as well. And and I think that's the same with I, to an extent. I think that's what Joe Talbot is doing, but but maybe less so. I think a lot of Joe, the difference between Joe Talbot and Sleaford Mods, though, is we've, we've talked about this before, but it's there's a degree of inauthenticity with Joe Talbot. Yeah, that's and that's and, what I'm getting at is that I think Jason Williamson is, you know, coming from he has he's use, he's kind of using that vessel because he's from that's that's the life that he's from, whereas I'm not sure what Joe Talbot's using it for, to be honest. I mean, it started this is this is like, we've had you had a lot of talks about why brutalism is in terms of lyric writing at least brutalism is idol's best album by a pretty good pretty big distance um Mm. and you know a lot of it is because in my opinion those stories were things that he experienced they came from you know stories about his mother and what he saw as her experiences or stories about his friends his uncles you know his immediate family etc um and they felt very personal and it was a way that at least for me it, it I found engaging because it was like, yeah, listen to this guy and listen to him talk about his struggles in a way in which, you know, I don't have the exact same struggles, but I can relate to those struggles. And it was, you know, a good, good music that, you know, it would make you angry, but it would also make you want to do something about it. Mm. Um, And I think now he's gotten like, especially with uh, Ultramano, it's just, it's turned into a whole bunch of platitudes. And, it's gone from descriptive to perscriptive. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I don't really disagree with, I mean, there are some of the platitudes he puts out that I disagree with, but like, I don't disagree with 95% of what he's saying in Ultramano. I just, I don't think it's effective lyric, lyric writing. It, it's no more effective than, you know, sitting down and quoting a, someone on Indie Heads here, you know, reading headlines from The Guardian. My absolute top lyric of Ultramano is I can't I think the song's called War or something like that. And it literally is him at the start going, This is the sound of a gun. <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, it's ka-ching. Like, okay. It's like ka-ching. That's run the, out of ideas. It's the sound of the sword going in. How Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <sighs> I know. That that honestly, that's like to me that just I know you know, I don't want to <laughs> be slagging people off too much, but that was just really that was like year six sit down and write me a song kind of 
Like, yeah. What's going to be going through a year six, year, a sort of 11 year old boy's head. <laughs> it, it, that was it, it. It feels like we've like, it, we've, we've slagged off idols a lot on this podcast. <laughs> we did a whole I just want to make it clear. Like we're big. I, I'm, I'm a really big idols fan. Like I've gotten to see them twice, three times. Twice. Um, twice. Yeah. I've, You've got to slag you the know, ones you love. Yeah, no, they they still rank within my top ten artists of all time in terms of listening, and they will continue to be there for probably a very long time. But you know, it is this is I think it's a valid critique to say that like it, it comes, it really it strikes me. The lyric writing in Ultramano strikes me as you know a high schooler being sat down and made to write an essay about a book they've read, right? But they don't, they kind of understand the concept of a metaphor or they understand the concept of doing like, you know, comparisons and drawing on larger themes. But um, it's heavy handed. Totally heavy handed and, you know, written in a way that kind of jumps around a lot that isn't necessarily cohesive throughout the whole thing. And, and also like the actual level of analysis is, you know, that of, I read spark notes 10 minutes before class. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's funny because it was just... as as we talked about on on our Ultra Mono episode, we we could have seen the warning signs coming between Sleaford Mods and Fat White Family all getting knives out for Joe Talbot. But <laughs> even in even in Joy as an act of resistance, the we said it, we even said it in the in the run up to Ultra Mono, we recorded a, like a, a speculative podcast episode saying, yeah, we think this next album is going to be a lot more anthemic a lot more sort of big punchy on the nose well i don't think we realized quite how the right cover we were. Art, the yeah. cover yeah. art said it all really i mean that's exactly mm-hmm. what yeah i mean to be fair to them that actually was spot on they've matched up the art with the music very well well it's funny because all the singles that, that were released ahead of time were all sort of like a pantone color and just the name below it was actually mm. like really smart branding uh, and then Ultra Mono, the album cover was released. I went, oh, um, okay. Especially because the first two I thought were great album covers. And I'm not actually that big of a fan of Ultra Monos. But the thing we said about we, we, what we could have noticed about Ultra Mono from Joy was Joy was definitely starting to become more anthemic and prescriptive in, in, in the kind of uh, ethics and morality that it was pushing. But we just kind of went, yeah, but how much fun was it? Rather than then going, ah, this could go wrong. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a really that's a really good point. I think a lot of records, good records, good lyric writing on those records does tread that fine line. And a lot of musicians, I think, then see, oh, well, this did really well. Let's do more of this. And to be fair, there's a huge market for it. Like I was on... I. I think I was in the airport or something, um, which I shouldn't probably say, but <laughs> there it is. I was in the airport like a few few months ago and there was a guy um, sat down in spoons back when we were allowed to have a small drink in spoons who literally had tattooed. He, I mean, he looked like a missing member of Idols. Like he just looked like a bit of a sort of hipster, like thug type bloke. And then he had I'm scum literally tattooed on his neck. And I was like, okay. There's clearly a market for idols to keep carrying on with that kind of thing. But like the thing is, like from a from a critical standpoint, I think, you know, 
when they go when they push over into just doing that they've missed that sweet spot and it's like it's too much they need to change what they're they're doing really to keep it fresh and i i do wonder how much of that comes through there's definitely the commercial aspect of it of yes danny Nadelko was our most popular song so we're gonna make more songs that are prescriptive in the way that danny Nadelko is although never fight a man with a perm was was rose up above that and that i would argue that is much less prescriptive than danny nadelko both songs i love by the way and i think they're you know having a song like danny nadelko in an album as like one or two of the songs that are very prescriptive in that way is fine um but you know i there's definitely that commercial aspect of it but putting that to the side and going back to this idea of trying to make your lyrics more clear to where an, like trying to get your audience to realize your own points. I wonder if there's, if like there are some bands out there, idols included who are kind of cutting the nuance just for the sake of getting their audience to be more filled with the people they want and less filled with people they don't want. If that makes sense. I mean, really, at that point, we're just talking about the Dead Kennedys with Nazi punks fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I'm just also just thinking about like Rage Against the Machine and the fact that I, I think I think there's a really a strong argument here of you like Rage Against the Machine's lyrics are un like unapologetically leftist. I I don't know how anyone can listen to Rage Against the Machine and not understand <laughs> that this is a band full of communists. But that's yeah, really it, that's really interesting because because you know to when I was growing up to listen to Rage Against the Machine was a symbol of being a huge lad at school. That's that's what that meant to listen to that kind of music. And I agree. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they'd taken five minutes just to actually listen to what was being said, well, firstly they might not understand any of it, but secondly, <laughs> they probably almost certainly wouldn't agree with it. Certainly, growing up in East Sussex, I mean, that's that's the kind of territory where you could stick a blue ribbon on a pig and they'd vote for it. So almost certainly, you know, the teenagers there are not going to be resonating with left wing lyrics, but it doesn't matter because the noise that they're making suggests something different to a young person, I think. Mm-hmm. And also I I think that the, the, the funny thing is actually thinking about these sort of like, because I mean, I was at school with the same sort of people. The East Sussex thing is that, that music is exactly the kind of music their parents would have completely balked at. And actually, even the charts were slightly balking at. So it, mm. it, it, that probably did feed into that choice of being like, it was hard, it was heavy, it was loud. It was it was big. Like, there was a lot, there's a lot Absolutely. in that music. And I think, I think that is, you know, that, that ties in with how people view certain political movements or political figures you know it often doesn't matter what they're saying it's the way they're saying it and the fact that 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 the way they're saying it is so opposed to the establishment that really attracts people you know donald trump is a perfect example of that i'm not comparing uh rage to donald trump because i think they'd be horrified by that but but it's the point about you know he is a an example of a noisy like rebellious i guess person um, and I think a lot of the people that support him won't even necessarily be listening to what he's saying. It's how he's saying it. It's because he's the loudest voice in the room and he never, you know, he never says no. He's a very, he's very good at, at sort of projecting this kind of sense of being 
the better alternative you know i think i think it definitely ties in with with that so unapologetic in in his ways yeah absolutely unapologetic but just completely against the establishment um and that's you know that's why you had some people who voted for obama and then switched to voting for trump you know they just mm. they just were he he appealed to that sort of anti-establishment and does it doesn't really matter what he was saying and whether that was right wing or left wing you know it's it's all about the political aesthetics rather than the actual yeah. political policy yeah the but outsider gonna... sort of vibe yeah and i think there's an argument to be made beyond that of like if if this feeds into like say for example to idols is cutting the nuance in their songs because they're worried that people are going to take it the wrong way or they're worried they're going to feed into you know a a group they don't want to feed into i mean the rage against the machine just shows that i mean it doesn't matter how you know unnuanced it is it doesn't matter i mean rage against the machine does have very nuanced lyrics but it's in my opinion very clear what they're talking about um it, it really doesn't matter how clear you make it i mean you you still have to rectify the fact that this is you know former speaker republican speaker of the house paul ryan's favorite band even yeah. though he literally is the machine um it's you know it's the sort of thing that people are going to misunderstand lyrics people are going to misconstrue them no matter what you do i mean we had that I, with legs in that in the death of the author um episodes mm-hmm. we talked about um I think was it writhing comedy the track writhing comedy we talked yeah, about yeah writhing comedy yeah we 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 expressed what our interpretation and understanding of the lyrics were as like a very sort of a, a, I think I said it was like a sort of a man having having a crisis in the corner and being left alone and I can't remember what what you said I think then, it's anxiety broadly speaking yeah that yeah and um and then legs we 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 tagged legs on Instagram and they got back in touch and said oh uh, no that's actually about that's actually about a march organized, like a protest march in London in the summer, <laughs> like the organizer <laughs> madly trying to keep the whole thing together, and a security guard telling someone else to piss off. <laughs> we were ten thousand miles away from what what the intended meaning of the lyrics were, but we'd read something. But that that was just how we'd read it, regardless of of what had been written. I don't yeah, know if I it think, wasn't um... agreed, but they were very they were very kind about <laughs> our interpretation. <laughs> I think that, you know, that happens quite often, um, especially, you know, if your lyrics are going to be a bit more abstract and a bit more open to interpretation, then, yeah, I think there's definitely room for people walking away with what you perceive to be the wrong impression. Um, but I think, you know, with with my songwriting, I think I always try and make sure that I'm kind of loud-ish on stage because I I do actually want people to hear what I'm saying and and I, I don't know I want to get my message across well I guess that's an important a really important thing for me actually is to make sure people can actually hear what I'm saying properly and hear the words that I'm using and I don't mind if they've then heard that and you know they draw their own conclusion that's absolutely fine but I want to make sure that when I'm delivering it, that they can hear it to the best of their ability and I can get my message across as, as well as I can. Thinking about that, one of the things I did notice in the live stream for, well, for tracks that I already knew compared to, to the new tracks was, uh, this might have just been that you've had more time to settle into the lyrics and settle into the music in, in a way since, since actually recording the EP. 
a while ago was that you used a bit more sort of theatrics and intonation and certain uh, uh, an emphasis in different spots compared to what the recorded copy has with like oh in, uh, there you go in fuck georgie weaver like oh yeah buy me a drink in a really sort of yeah re- respondent not respondent um resided fashion as opposed to quite quite a flat delivery in comparison on the yeah on the on the on the actual release and that really adds that extra dimension to what the intention is of that lyric yeah absolutely that you know we recorded that really early on um i think we'd been going for maybe well we recorded it in october 2019 and we'd only been going since July. And bear in mind, you know, I've never been in a, a band before. So I was very much just finding my feet when we were doing that record. And uh, a lot of those, a lot of those songs, we we didn't one take for my vocals, not because I was so brilliant, but because we didn't really have any time. So, you know, I would love to be able to re-record some of those songs. And actually, if you watch... Uh, well, certainly if you if you listen back to the live stream and if you watch our Artsy Vice video, um, even even then, which was the following February, I feel like we're so much more confident, especially me. And there's you'll hear a lot more intonations and kind of shrieks and all sorts of weird shit because I've kind of found I feel like I'm really finding my voice now. And, and, you know, it was just very early days when we recorded the EP. So it's understandable that it would be a little bit more timid or or flat, maybe. So with your lyric writing, where do you derive your, like, growing up, like, do, do you, did you come from a certain angle looking at other bands and being like, I want to emulate them? Or was it something that you just kind of started doing out of the blue? Like, what was your very early lyric writing process like? Yeah, so I think my early lyric writing process wasn't really focused around being in a band whatsoever, because I... I'm not a musical person. I really didn't think that was going to be something I would ever be able to do. I just kind of ruled it out. You know, it was just one of those things that I just was never going to do. Uh, I'm still finding it a bit weird that I am doing it, to be honest. Um, So it was never, you know, I never really had like, oh, you know, I want to be the next Stevie Nicks in mind. (laughs) Um, I wish. But yeah, so it was more like I just kind of started writing poetry let's call it poetry, um, a loose con- collection of words, I guess, based on experiences that I had. But I also write it based on weird thoughts that just sort of pop into my brain. I love rhyming couplets. I love bad jokes. I love wordplay, puns. So, and those things, those sorts of things just pop into my head all the time. So I was just writing all of that down. And then um, that that whole period where I was writing those poems slash songs coincided with me getting much more into post-punk as in, you know, from the seventies and eighties, not, not sort of post-punk 2K. Um, So obviously those just melded really well together in my brain because I was listening to a lot of the slits and, you know, that a lot of that is just, well, firstly, it's from a female perspective Secondly, there's not a great deal of normal structure to those songs. Thirdly, you know, it's the same kind of shock tactics thing, I guess. You know, they're swearing and they're talking about naughty things or weird things. Um, So I guess, you know, rather than having the slits in mind when I started writing songs, it more just 
I was just very lucky that I kind of got really into them at that time because it really almost validated the way that I was writing the songs. You know, there was obviously a bit of hesitation at first because I thought, oh, no one's going to want to like hear any of these poems or (laughs) whatever. Um, But then I sort of heard it in song and I thought, well, that could be that could be really good. So the slits kind of resonated with you in a sort of in a fashion. Yeah, absolutely. They resonated with me. Still do. Absolutely love them. Obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually been going back and listening to Cut a lot more frequently, especially since, well, I, I got a copy of uh, Under Lockdown, Rip It Up and Start Again. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, going, going so much so that I bought a few people copies of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. But it's kind of, it's, it, I do talk about it quite frequently. Yes, sorry, Nathan. And Lisa, if you're listening, <laughs> and probably Dina, if you're listening as well. Um, but uh, it's it's kind of an interesting one to talk about how one goes about approaching um, writing lyrics because um, Florence, surname from Dry Cleaning, um, <laughs> she uh, there was a there was an interview. That, oh no, they did a set for um, KRS or KS KSX. I'm Chicago. They've got a lot of sets up on YouTube. Um, from just before lockdown uh, and they were talking the interview was asking her about her process because she in a similar fashion to you uh, started her journey into into music as it were into into lo- lyric writing just through her friends who are the members of dry cleaning otherwise and she as an art student had actually just been keeping like snippets in her phone of random text she'd heard whilst waiting for the bus or standing on a train station platform or in the shop or wherever the hell else, which, mm. as you can usually find if you listen to dry cleaning lyrics, definitely informs a lot of the lyrics otherwise written when they seem nonsensical and and sort of surreal. So it's it's that she never... She just kept writing them because she enjoyed writing them, which makes sense for an art student, really. And then just started pulling from them as she came to, to write lyrics. Yeah, it's definitely a really good comparison. I, you know, I share... I think I share quite a lot of characteristics with Florence. Um, like you said, you know, we're both in our first band. The way that we write songs, I wouldn't say is maybe as similar as a lot <laughs> as has often been said. Um, but I think I think there are similarities. You know, I definitely my phone is like my favorite thing to write songs on for some reason. I don't know why, um, but all of pretty much all of my songs are on there, and it gives me like a regular panic attack. Uh, thinking about the day that I lose it or wipe it accidentally, um, but but yeah, that that's definitely something I do. Um, I love overheard conversations. People say the weirdest shit, and it's anyone that's not writing down what other people are saying is missing out. Even if you're not a songwriter, just do it. Like reading through, getting drunk, a bit drunk, and reading through your notes on your phone, whether it's stuff that you came up with when you were also drunk. Or whether it's stuff that you've overheard is like the best best thing you can do. It's so much fun, but yeah, I mean that's definitely how I how I approach it. I would say Florence is a lot probably a lot more surreal uh, or maybe absurd than than me in terms of how she mashes the lyrics together, but also delivers them. And I think she leaves a lot more to your own in- interpretation and imagination, which I think is great. Um, she kind of creates like a big lyrical collage um, of different sounds and phrases that don't always fit together and I think I'm I veer more towards the narrative I do always like to bring it back to 
a vague story um but yeah i think you know both very valid forms of of songwriting i think i think dry cleaning do such a great job i just don't envy her because she has to have her music stand with with sort of lots of sheets of paper in front of her and um yeah i think she's uh, yeah that's all i've got to say (laughs) i ran out of thoughts (laughs) that's okay to compare dry cleaning and bikini body songs is is an interesting one because i i would similarly to what you were saying i would think of your music and Spikini Body, as, uh, especially lyrically, it's, it's more song formatted in, in a sort of classic structure. There is definitely, there's a, there's a verse, and there's verses and choruses and, and bridges where they, they all are narratively similar, if not the same. Whereas apart from maybe the magic of Megan and maybe Viking hair thinking about dry cleaning songs, a lot of them are just sort of lyrics centered around a theme. Uh, and that particular interview I was watching, um, when they were talking about their latest single, Scratch Card, scratch card lanyard she was saying yeah i'd like to think about characters a lot uh particularly like i was uh, imagining being like a mother with two children and i was listening uh, i i saw this interview and then went back and listened to the song again and in no way in my mind could conjure up this character based off the almost sort of witticisms that the song just sort of inhibits and then Iggy Pop played it on his show on BBC Radio 6 and offered another completely different take as well. Basically read out whatever the... Um, read out the statement from the label. Uh, I think they're signed to 4AD. Um, read out the statement from the label and then went, actually, no, because she says, I'm like a hardy banana. I think this is just about fragility. And then played the song. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in Iggy Pop's voice. That's so good. Oh, Iggy. So, but what did it mean to you, Will? You don't actually have to mention that. Um, <laughs> but no, it is, I think, yeah, it, it, there are lots of different ways of, of lyric writing. And I I quite like more narrative-based lyric writing as just, you know, as as someone who doesn't actually spend, a, like, I've, I've never really written poetry, but I've written a lot of stories and I've written a lot of, of kind of more narrative-based stuff. Um, songs that tell stories are you know more up my street um and i think in in part that's why i end up coming more back to bikini body than i do um to oh my god how am i blanking on the band we just talked about dry cleaning cleaning. (laughs) thank you so i think you know that's part of why i end up coming a lot more back to bikini body than i do to to dry cleaning um because i think honestly you tell tell stories at least my perception of it as a listener is I can I can grasp on to stories within the lyrics that you're writing, even if you didn't necessarily intend to tell that story, um, such as, you know, early days of listening to Georgie Weaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, for, for me, that really that really appeals to me. Um, but I know a lot of other people like really abstract music. I mean, peaking with things like, you know, atmosphere of black metal, where the lyrics are literally incomprehensible and Mm. listeners are compelled to assign lyrics what they, you know, try and like pick out bits of sound, bits of words and try and like create the story from the music itself, Mm. Uh, which is really cool conceptually, but I not really my cup of tea in terms of uh, actually listening. I think a bit closer to... Oh, sorry. So I was going to say a bit closer to post-punk home, as it were. Um, current London band, PVA, uh, with their latest EP, Toner. I think in a lot of places, 
they do have a lot of lyrics in 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 the in the EP, and I love that EP. It's fantastic. But in in a kind of a way, a lot of the the start of the delivery and and also the relatively minimal content of the lyrics, it feels like it's more there for texture to add to the huge synths underneath um, than it is to add narrative to the song in the same way. And I love it. Yeah, I I I've got I've got it in the post actually. <laughs> mine's, soon, but... mine's here it's great <laughs> nice yeah i think yeah i think you're totally right you know someone like pva it is so much about the music underneath i feel like they they could say anything and they'd sound insanely cool um i yeah i i just think they're gonna be i don't know they, they're just they strike me as more of a like a techno band really than anything else i don't i find it funny that they're lumped in with like black midi squid black country new road they're all kind of under this big umbrella of like post-punk kids who came through music college you know but they're all making very different music to each other to a degree so yeah that's interesting um, it's speedy wonderground call that's what yeah, i sort of refer exactly. to on indie that's that's does. really what it is yeah yeah um, they're all just produced by dan the, carey <laughs> yeah exactly so the the point i was gonna just touch on there was you you know drawing the distinction between more narrative songwriting and then more abstract songwriting that is based around sort of single words or images and i i would say that you know we actually have differing tastes with even within the band on that not not that it ever kind of affects my songwriting because i know that the boys you know really like the way i write songs but i, I think Kyle in particular he loves Radiohead. He loves um, Boards of Canada. He loves kind of weird, random, disembodied kind of imagery and voices in a song. Um, he loves kind of Tom York's songwriting, which often is very abstract, sometimes too abstract for me. So I, it's it's funny because it actually, as a band, I think we do have a mixture of those two different tastes in songwriting, even though what I'm doing is is much more narrative. Has that resulted in any, like, can you think of any songs that you've written that have been, like, more influenced by that um, sort of divide within the band? Um, I don't think it dictates necessarily, like, the songs that I write, um, but I do think it informs the way that the boys write music sometimes. I think that um, they, they're very good at leaving quite a lot of space for the words and I think you've often you often find that with songs where you know you do have maybe some disembodied kind of lyrics or or voices is that there's there's space there's a lot of space in those kinds of records so I think that sensibility is brought into the music rather than the lyrics I mean whenever I write a song though I do try and chop it in half because usually it's a big stream of consciousness that just gets a bit out of control and has no structure so you know I definitely try and be a bit more econo as the Minutemen would say (laughs) love it love it it's it's a funny thing to to well this is actually more of a question of how you write then music within within Bikini Body is it more of a you're just scribbling away writing lyrics and then it's, it's and then everyone sits down and they say look we've cut out we've cut out this this music and you go oh great well here's some lyrics and we'll try and intertwine them together or do you just sort of jam yeah. and sort of build it into a one yeah so what usually happens is that Kyle or Josh will come up with some kind of riff which 
either is like they've actually come up with it or it's literally that one of them's been prattling around and we happen to like whatever it is that they've come up with. I, I think one of our songs actually came about because Josh was trying to remember how to play Daily Mail and couldn't and was playing something completely different that wasn't a song. <laughs> and we were like, that's great. Let's do that. <laughs> um, so so they'll start... I'll, I'll basically just get them going on that and, and Dan will, will start up behind them. Um, and I'll, I'll basically just take whatever lyrics I feel like sounds like it would work with with the music they're playing and then just sort of say it over say those lyrics over the music until it kind of feels right and then what we'll do is you know once we're feeling kind of happy with how it's generally sounding uh we'll do we'll just sort of whittle it down um and usually I can sort of take it away and make my song a bit more structured and that helps with the music and I have actually been sort of helping with the arrangement of it as well to a bit more recently where I kind of say, okay, well, we need to sort of get a bit bigger here or louder here and bring it, bring it, bring it back down at certain points. So yeah, that's kind of the loose process. It's it's quite weird and improvised as well. <laughs> like I said, we sometimes make mistakes that sound cool and we just kind of run with that. So it's interesting. The best, in my opinion, the best art always it comes in some form from improvisation. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you, need, you need to have those sort of random elements that get chucked in there and kind of mix things up. Otherwise, it gets very formulaic. Agreed. At least I find that when I'm when I'm when I'm writing in that sort of thing, or you know, DMing for D and D, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's the the improv is generally what what generates the most interesting story arcs, so the most like compelling dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, a lot of how I write is kind of in a weird improvised style. It's like bits of conversations or thoughts I've had in my head kind of pulled together. And then I just sort of say them over the music. And so even though I do kind of strive for a narrative, I try not to make it sound like massively rehearsed as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Yeah, and I can honestly say you do a good job of that as well. It comes off as very... Like it comes off as very organic. Yeah, that's, that's really that I what I'm going for. A lot of bands struggle with, but a lot of a lot of like, I also like going to give credit to another band here uh, with an album coming coming out relatively soon. Uh, Black Country New Road does another is another band in my opinion that does a good job of creating an organic sounding narrative, and I think part of that is because it's not just a narrative right it's slightly disembodied it does have breaks where you know like at least my mental process isn't entirely fluid right or your artistic process of, of writing something isn't entirely fluid so having those breaks and having that kind of a bit of choppiness here and there makes it sound more organic and less kind of rehearsed than you know say someone that someone someone like honestly idols going back to ultramano that sounds it's very anthemic but also part of that is comes off as very rehearsed yeah the thing i like about black country new road is because it's this this guy's sort of one style of delivery and like you say it is a little bit disembodied it really sounds like the stream of consciousness of like a horny teenage boy i find that really funny like when he's talking about 
like Charlie XCX and sort of fantasizing over her and stuff. It just literally sounds like what I imagine was going on in the heads of all the boys at school all day. <laughs> it's really funny, but with a dash of sort of, I went to Cambridge, so I use fancy words. <laughs> and, and also just with, with a layer of anxiety kind of plastered mm. over it as well. Yeah. Although like high school boys are pretty, pretty anxious. I, mean, yes. I don't know if all high school boys are anxious, but I was certainly very anxious at that age. I think that might have to be the end of our episode. Uh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say one, one more, one more thing. Is there, is there any advice that you can give to people who are looking to start writing lyrics? Maybe they're thinking about starting a band, um, but they're they're nervous about writing lyrics, or they just don't really know how to go about doing it. Is there any piece of advice you could give them? Yeah, I think don't try or don't put pressure on yourself to write the perfect song in one go. I think that I'm not saying I've written the perfect song still on my way, but I think the reason why I've been able to draw together the number of songs that I have in such a short amount of time is, you know, it didn't just spring from nowhere. It came from years and years of sort of storing little phrases or pieces of imagery that I liked and then I was able to just draw all of that together and start writing it down and and putting it into a cohesive song so and I, I appreciate that's not ideal for somebody that wants a quick fix but I do think that's one of the best things that you can do is just hold on to things don't let them go and and one day they're gonna you know come good on you really and then the other piece of advice is just to make sure that you're writing about something that means something to you. Because like I said earlier, I don't feel like my lyrics can be effective if I don't, if I'm not engaged with the subject matter or it's not something that I've experienced personally. So I think that's really, really important to be, I guess, passionate about the thing that you're, you're writing about because it'll just flow when you are, when you are passionate about it or when you really enjoy what you're writing about. Well, awesome. Those are hopefully for the listeners, anyone who wants to start writing lyrics. Hopefully that aids them on their their path in starting to write lyrics. Definitely good things to, to think about. Uh, someone who doesn't has never written lyrics before, things that I hadn't really, some of that I haven't really considered. And if I ever do write lyrics, I'll be sure to give you credit for implementing those things. You should do it. You should get some down. Are we actually going to form that band after we've formed that flipping podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, that that actually does lead into uh, two announcements for the show. The first announcement is that we are going to start doing a um, an episode, kind of more loose form, uh, just updates on you know what's happened in the world of post punk. Instead of doing reviews or talking about more in depth sort of things, kind of more focusing on albums that have come out you know big news in the post-punk world things that listeners might have missed but you know kind of all in a short form lightly edited presentation um and the second thing is this this builds more directly on the 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 not so much lyric writing but writing of songs uh we are going to be doing a live stream the details of that will be coming out in the near future once we figure out how to get it to work trying to write a song uh this is going to be a fun little project where i have my midi keyboard 
And then Will and Lisa will be joining us to try and guide me through the use of this MIDI keyboard <laughs> to write and record a piece of music that will hopefully, if it's not absolute shit, which it will be, uh, be our intro theme for at least a little while until we can come up with something better. Uh, but feel free to join us on that, Vicky. Uh, feel free to, we'd, we'd, we'd love your input as someone that has, you know, actual experience in writing music. Yeah, I'll maybe, send, put there. I'm excited. maybe send the boys for that one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll get involved. Love it. It's gonna be Not to put pressure absolute, on you. <laughs> it's gonna be an absolute disaster. Just putting that out there right now. Um, I'm excited. It's gonna be it, like a situationist kind of dream. That's what I'm I'm picturing. Picturing. I just yeah. want you to go as crazy as possible. Oh man. Oh, it's gonna be some sort of Dada experiment. So many synth packs downloaded. It's gonna be wonderful. Nice, nice. Yes. I cannot wait. I will be there for sure. What we will need, Nathan, is more cowbell. More cowbell. That's that's okay. that is the golden the rule. Actually, scrap what I said earlier about anything to tell the kids. More cowbell. That's the only <laughs> rule. I know that's not a lyrical thing, but you know you could write cowbell in your lyrics. <laughs> I was I was going to mention that as a, as like a as like a oh here's Will's shit take. Write cowbells. <laughs> that was actually, yeah, actually maybe we should write. You should write like the ode to a cowbell, or maybe I will. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to write it in like as the ode to the haggis, though, in like a Ravi Burns style. Oh my goodness! All right, challenge accepted. Maybe I'll do that. You see, if I was actually famous, I could do that like as like a charity gig on TV. But I'm not. So. <laughs> no one gives well, a shit. Basically, I look forward you to can seeing do it, it on you Instagram can do it Live as a charity <laughs> yeah. gig. Yeah, as a charity gig on on Instagram Live or on 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 YouTube or you know, there's there's plenty of space. It's true. I'll find a medium for my Scottish cowbell uh, ode. <laughs> Don't and, let and your Burns dreams Night, be dreams. Burns Night is coming up, so be quick. No, it was on Monday, you muppet. Was it? Oh, yes. you're right. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Retrospective Burns Night. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> You've got nearly a whole year to write it. <laughs> I'm going to need it. But thank you very much for joining us, Vicky. Uh, your insights have been phenomenal, and it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. We'll we'll be sure to get you back, and uh, maybe other members of Bikini Body in the future as well to talk about yeah music for sure. Obviously, to to listeners, do go and support Bikini Body uh, on Bandcamp. Uh, stream their music on your favorite streaming service of choice. I think Bandcamp Friday is still on in twenty twenty one, if I remember rightly, for another few months. So I think mm. I think the first Friday of February it'll be the next one. So if you have some cash and you you feel like you're at a loss and yet need more brilliant music, obviously go and choose Bikini Body and support them. Yes, please. I already have. I've absorbed myself with guilt many times. Uh, yes, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we'll uh, we'll catch you all on the flip side. Bye. Bye.